Talk Radio for inquisitive people. Solace Radio, Vista, Colorado. Okay, let's go ahead and uh, start with a word of prayer. I've asked Greg Walker to come up and lead us in a word of prayer here. Dear Lord God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just want to thank you for giving us this opportunity tonight to come together. Thank you for everybody that's shown up and friends that have come along and uh, just everyone that's here, Lord, and uh, just pray that you'll uh, be with Pastor Mark as he uh, teaches us through this this lesson and just a chance for us to dig into the Hebrew roots and really get to understand things that much more than we do already. And uh, we just pray that you'll give us ears to hear and, and hearts that are open to, to receive what you have for us tonight, Father. Just ask these things all in Yeshua's holy name. Okay. Uh, we do. I don't know if everyone has one of the manuals, but if some of you don't have manuals, we have about 20 more on the way. So they'll be here probably on Friday. So if you come on uh, Shabbat, we'll have them. If you come next Monday, we'll definitely have them. The nice thing is this first lesson tonight is just introduction. Okay. Uh, there won't be necessarily any lesson as much as we're going to try to cover all 14 lessons. Uh, <laughs> an overview, a brief overview of all 14 lessons. The, the nice thing about this, this is introductory. Okay, I know many of you have been around for a while. Uh, uh, some of you, this this is new, uh, but I'm going to keep it at an introductory level. But I tell you what, as many of you know from the Hebrew Roots movement, even the introductory level is just phenomenal, isn't it? You know, and it's just, oh my gosh, it's. Uh, how many of you are here for the first time? We have some people here for the. Well, awesome, awesome, and uh, well, my name's Mark Belts. And I'm the pastor here at LCI Ministries, and I'm so glad that uh, all of you are able to uh, be here. And so where we're going to begin, let me see if I can get my first clip up. Aha. Uh, we're going to be talking about the foundation. And in case you were wondering, uh, high is sowed, what that means. Is that is the mic on? Is it working? It's not quite on there, saying. It's not quite working right. I don't quite hear it to the speakers myself. But highest, there we are. Okay. Yeah. Highest sowed in Hebrew, the first two letters is the, Hebrew, is the English word the. And yesod is foundations. So basically what this whole study, uh, highest sowed is the foundations. And <clears throat> that's very, very critical, and we'll be talking about that more. But one thing I want to mention, too, for those of you that are new uh, to the Hebrew Roots Movement or to El Shaddai Ministries, I want to let everyone know up front that we do believe that Yeshua, Jesus, is the Son of God, uh, that in him dwelt all the fullness of God. Uh, we totally believe we're saved by grace through faith, and we're not saved by works in any way. Uh, the thing is this, the Torah was uh, never given for that purpose to begin with. Okay? You're going to be learning, it's going to be a real paradigm shift for a lot of people here. And so that's why I'm going to go slow on some of these things. Because, uh, I believe it's very important. One of the reasons I want to teach this material too is, uh, God is doing an awesome thing in these last days. It's a whole prophetic move of God. And the things that I, I want to do, I don't want to be in front of the wave, you know. I don't want to be behind it. I want to ride the wave. And for me, the, the exciting thing is find out what God is doing and jump in the middle of it, you know. 
And uh, so this is what God is doing. And as things unfold, you're going to be finding it's just going to be like little nuggets. How many of you like treasure hunting? You know, that's what this is going to be like. Uh, you're going to have all kind of oohs and ahs and uh, paradigm shifts, things as we go. And so I'm really excited about that. Let's start in your books. Turn to 1.4 and 1.5. Yes, chapter 1, and then I guess the fourth page of chapter 1 in your book. I think at the top left corner it says protocol or something like that. We're going to kind of cover some things. Right. We have about 20 more books coming. They'll be here. I ordered them this morning. They should be here Thursday or Friday. So we'll definitely have them on Saturday uh, and definitely next Monday as well. So if someone is kind of sitting close to if you don't have a book, you might sit next to someone who has one just so you could kind of follow along if you don't have a book. Uh, so that way you can at least keep up with where we're at. One of the things I want to start with is open up your Bibles. This is. We're going to use your Bibles more during these Monday night sessions probably than we do on Saturday mornings. Because Saturday mornings I type out notes and you have it all typed there. But, t- you know, Monday nights you're going to have to work. Uh, let's turn to 2 Kings 22. It's right after 1 Kings. And I have big help. And then after that we're going to go to Acts in case you want to get both fingers going. But in 2 Kings chapter 22, many of you have heard of Josiah. He was the little boy king, started ruling when he was only eight years old. And it says uh, in uh, 2 Kings 22, verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And uh, he reigned 31 years. But go to verse 5 now. It says uh, he wanted, uh, eh, let's start with verse 4. Verse 4, he says, go up to Hilkiah the high priest that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the doers of the work, which is in the house of the Lord, to do what? To repair the breaches of the house. And I believe the house of the Lord in these last days has some breaches in it. And so what this is going to be doing, we're going to begin to repair the breaches. And this is exciting because back then they had found, look, we found the, the Torah. They hadn't even lost it. And they finally they found it. They're all excited. And they start reading what needs to be done. And they're beginning to repair the house of the Lord. And that's the day we're living in right now. If you, uh, another on your notes, go to Acts chapter 3. How, how many times have you guys read a Bible verse a hundred times and all of a sudden you read it again and it's totally different? <laughs> you know, uh, it's exciting. Well, in Acts chapter 3. If those of you that haven't read this before, that haven't been here to hear me teach about this, this is going to be one of those. Oh, my goodness. Acts chapter 3 and verse uh, 19. Now, let me ask you this. By Acts 3, the Lord's already died, right? He's already risen from the dead, and he's already ascended into heaven. So where is he? He's in heaven. Now, look what Acts 3, 19 through 21 says. Peter's preaching, and he's telling the Jews to repent. And so he says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall do what? So he's talking about his second coming. All right. So what is contingent for him to have the second coming is for the Jews to do what? Repent. So he's not coming back until they do. And then it says, whom the heavens must receive until the times of the restitution of all things. 
So that's why we're restoring. That's what this whole book is about, is going back and understanding what needs to be restored. Okay, which goes back to repairing the breaches, which God has spoken by the mouths of all of his holy prophets since the world began. So he's talking about all of the First Testament prophets that have been prophesying. Not everything has been fulfilled yet. And so things have to be fulfilled. And let's look at one of those things that has to be. Well, we won't look at that just yet. But go back now with the uh, first covenant. If you, you know Malachi is the last book. Well, before that, go to Zechariah now. We're going to look at Zechariah chapter 8. And in Zechariah chapter 8, let's look at verse 1 through 3 and look at God's attitude. It says, again, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, Zechariah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. So three times God said he's jealous. Now, typically when someone is, I mean, there's a, a positive jealousy and a negative jealousy. Uh, from the positive side, side of jealousy, you're jealous over something that belongs to you that someone else has taken, okay, or uh, that you want back. And God is jealous over Zion. Now, look at verse 3. It says, thus says the Lord, I am returned to Zion. Now, that happens yet. No, but we're now we're talking about when he does return. He says, I'm returned unto Zion and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth. The mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Now, if that happens yet, obviously not. But that is something that God is prophesying that is going to come when he rules and reigns during the millennial reign. Right. Everyone on the same page. Now, look at verse seven. So what is he going to do? It says, thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. So he's talking about the Jews that have been scattered all around the world. He's going to bring them back, okay, and they're going to be his people. Now let's look at verse 20 through 23 of this chapter. Now look at what it says. It says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, It shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Yea, many people, strong nations. Now, this is referring to the Gentiles now. Strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts. In Tokyo. No. Uh, is it in New York? No. Where are they going to be? And that literally means Jerusalem. And they're going to pray before the Lord. So all the Gentiles are going to come to Jerusalem and pray when the Lord rules and reigns. And then it says this in verse 23. Thus saith the Lord of hosts in those days. These are the days we're living in right now. They're coming up right to the times of Messiah. Look what it says. It will come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all the languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Now, wait, what is this? What's going on here? But is that what it says? Okay. What The Jews are going to come to a knowledge of the Messiah. The Jews are going to know who the Messiah is. Messiah is going to take the veil off. And all of a sudden, they have this huge storage of knowledge, but they're blinded, and so they don't see. 
And then God's going to take off the blinders and they're going to have a big aha. And then they're going to sit down and teach all of us all the truths that we've overlooked and didn't know about. Now, isn't that going to be kind of a, for a lot of people, you know, I think Johnny come lately. Who do you think you are? You know, I mean, this is this is going to be interesting. Exciting. OK. Now, one of the things that we're going to do here is it says uh, we're going to it says in your notes, uh, like one point four, one point five, it talks about a messianic vocabulary. I, I want to even change that a little bit. Uh, you know, you can if you want to, but I want you to change the word messianic and put Hebraic Hebraic vocabulary. Uh, that's just personal reasons. Um, there's nothing wrong necessarily with the word messianic. Messianic is a great word. But when you're communicating with people, how many you know sometimes words can mean something different to one person than it does to the other person? So I like to keep it as simple as possible and as uncomplicated. Uh, that's, let me just leave it at that. So uh, one of the reasons that we're going to be using a Hebraic vocabulary here, too, is first, it's going to help you guys associate with the Hebraic roots of your faith. It's going to help you get in touch with that by using these words, and you're going to learn them very quickly. Secondly, uh, the reason why we do this isn't just because of some outward show, uh, but they truly are an expression of who we are. Okay, uh, as people of the nations who have taken a hold of our inheritance with Israel. And so let's take a look at this next clip. Here's some examples. Uh, I mean, and I may go back and forth, but usually I want to use the word Yeshua rather than saying Jesus. Okay, there's nothing wrong with the name of Jesus. Okay, just so everyone knows, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But because this is trying to get us back to the Hebrew roots, I'm going to use Yeshua uh, for a couple reasons. One of them, Miriam didn't know English. Okay, that's what she used. Okay, so she used Yeshua. And the other thing is Yeshua has a meaning in Hebrew that is missed in the transliteration. Okay, Jesus is a transliteration. It's not a translation of his name. His name was Yeshua. Now, who knows what Jesus, the name Jesus, who does not know what the name Jesus means in Hebrew? There are people that don't know what does Jesus mean. And that's the problem. We don't know what we're really saying. When you say Yeshua in Hebrew, you're saying the word salvation. So when his mother was telling him to come here, she was saying, hey, my salvation, would you please come here? Hey, everybody, I want you to meet my salvation. See, that's interesting. Now, to me, now that you can see why Yeshua would have a greater meaning, because now she's telling everyone, hey, everyone, I want you to come see my salvation. Whoa. One of the other words, there's nothing wrong with the word Christ. But again, uh, that is from uh, the Greek Christos, which is from the Hebrew Mashiach. And it literally means the anointing. It's, he's the anointed one. And so we'll say Messiah is closer to Mashiach. Mashiach is Hebrew, and so a better translation would be Messiah rather than Christ. But so sometimes we might say Yeshua Ha, which is the Mashiach, Messiah, Yeshua Ha Mashiach, which is Jesus the Christ. OK, you following me? And then another one is the word church. Rather than using the word church, we might use the word congregation. OK. Uh, there's reasons for this. I really firmly believe that you're going to see Jews starting to get a revelation of who Messiah is, and they're going to be coming in droves. And so it's good, to, and as many of you may work with Jews. I know several people that I know here that go they work with Jews in the workplace, and they want to communicate, but they don't know how to communicate. And one of the main things is, is not to be offensive. And so there's, uh, plus it's like a hot button. How many of you have a hot button? Okay. Well, the thing is, if you're going to communicate effectively from an evangelistic standpoint, you want to use words that 
aren't going to push a hot button and yet still say the same thing. Uh, like instead of Paul, uh, because when we see Paul, we think Greek. We don't think Hebrew. He was a rabbi. So we're going to call him Rabbi Shaul. That was his name. Shaul, Rabbi Shaul. Instead of saying the word New Testament, we're going to say that very same word, but in Hebrew, which is the Brit Hadashah. And uh, it actually is the, how many, you know, we also call it the New Covenant. Well, Brit Hadashah is uh, the New Covenant, but it's more like the Renewed Covenant. Okay, when we hear New Covenant, we think old, new, old done away with, new is something new. How do you know when you see a new moon, it's not a new moon? Okay, it's the same moon, it's renewed. And it's a renewed covenant. And then instead of saying the word Old Testament, when we hear Old Testament, we always think old done away. Okay, we use the word Tanakh, or I might use the term Hebrew Scriptures. Okay, now what the many of you know, the Torah is the first five books, right? But you're going to find as we go through here, the word Torah. Let me say this. The word law. Torah is translated as law. All through the Hebrew scriptures. And that is a totally inaccurate translation in your Bibles. The word Torah literally means teaching, instruction. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures is given by inspiration of God for what? Instruction. And so, in one sense, the entire Bible, the, the Hebrew scriptures and the Brit Hadashah are Torah. So when you think of Torah, too, think of the entire Bible as Torah. It's all instruction. Okay, so you can think of it that way. But also, when, when we say Tanakh, basically that means you can include the Torah, too, but it's the entire what we would call the Old Testament. Now, in case you want to write down what Tanakh, it's an acronym. You know how in the military they have acronyms for everything? Well, the Tanakh is an, uh, an acronym. The, the T-A basically stands for the Torah. And then the, the N-A is the Navim, which is the prophets. And then lastly is the Ketavim, which means the writings. And so they took those three words and just said Tanakh. So that's what it's not a Hebrew word itself. It's just three Hebrew words they threw together. The Torah, the prophets and the writings. Yes. Well, he, oh, <laughs> many of you that have been around for a while. God did not change his name. You will not find anywhere in the Bible where God changed his name. Now, you know, go back and look. But they do this afterwards. He he had two names. Like I might be Mark in America and Marcos in uh, Spain, Italy, whatever. Uh, Shaul in Greek, what did, do you remember what that was? Yeah, the word Shaul, if you say that in Greek, it means haughty. So to the Greek people, he wanted to be known as Paul, not as the haughty one. Okay, but go take a look. You won't find in the scriptures that God changed Shaul's name to Paul. He just had by, he had two names. Okay, uh, some other ones that, that aren't on here that I want you to add to your list, rather than saying the term Christian, you can use the term a Bible believer. I mean, I don't know if you like that or not, but a Bible believer kind of says the same thing. Yes? Well, they don't mind if you're a Christian. They don't just want you to make them a Christian. Oh, okay. Okay. They, I mean, you can call yourself whatever you want, but the reason uh, why I don't like to use the term Christian for myself is because Hitler called himself a Christian. Right. When And most Jews, when they hear Christian, what comes to their mind is Catholic. That's what they think. They, a lot of them don't realize there's denominations. Okay. And so when you're dealing with some, there's, there's two kinds of teachers, I've always thought. And one just wants to get something out. Let me show you what I know. The other one wants to get something in. Okay. So you will know it and it will affect and change your life. 
Okay, and so when you're witnessing, do you want them to get it? Or do you want them to be impressed with how much you know about the Bible? Okay, so if we want them to get it, you want to relate it to them in the way, just like uh, my dog, he doesn't like his pill, so we put it in a hot dog or something. You know, they'll take it that way, or in a jelly, or whatever. Okay, so we want people to get it. So you want to be able to communicate in a way that is going to be acceptable. Now, the other thing, rather than saying the word cross, another good term would be the tree or the execution stake. Okay? I don't know. I mean, a lot of people have different sensitivities, but some people, like if you saw a swastika, that might be offensive. When the Jews see a cross, that's what they see. It's the same thing. They see the cross the way you would see a swastika, okay, or something like that. So that's why we use those terms. Another word is convert. You need to convert. A lot of people go out with a concept. We need to get the Jews to convert to Christianity. They don't. Now, I want you to listen very carefully here. I'm going to be using words that may have meanings different than what you're used to. So I want to define my terms. First, I'm going to say something that is going to shock some of you. But when I explain it, you're going to go, oh, that makes sense. Okay. We don't want the Jews to convert to Christianity. We want them to know who their Messiah is. Do you understand the difference? They need to know the Messiah. They need to know Yeshua HaMashiach is their Messiah. Okay? He's the way, the truth, and the life. But when you say they need to convert, they think you're telling them they have to leave their whole culture, their whole family, their whole... I mean, it's, it, it means something different than, to them than it does to you. And uh, as far as uh, meeting, we're going to meet here every Monday night, 7 o'clock to 8.30. We want to be right on time. So we can also end on time. And if you uh, go to your notes on page 1.6, we're kind of about there now. Uh, one of the things I also want to mention, we don't want to have necessarily any food or drinks in here. Bottled water is okay. Uh, but we use this facility from Southfield Christian Church, and we want to always make it look nice. And also when we go to go, if you would, just kind of straighten your chair. Sometimes on Saturday mornings when everyone's gone, I have to come through and straighten every chair because they're all cockeyed and everything. And it would really help. As far as music and prayer, we're not going to really have any music. Occasionally on some of these, there may be a particular song during the middle of the meeting for some specific reason. We're always going to pray at the beginning and the end. But as far as protocol, we want everyone to know this is a teaching time. It's not a church service. Okay, so we're here to to learn. Um, Let's see. As far as the procedure for questions and answers, uh, what I'm going to do is... At the end of every lesson, which starts next week, we're going to have about a 10 to 15 minute time at the end of the session for question and answers. Okay, so during the thing, especially since we're recording it, too, it's okay to have a few, but we want to try to write down, bring notebook paper with you. Write down your questions as we're going, because believe me, you're going to have questions. And then we'll spend 10 to 15 minutes after every session answering them. And if they don't get answered, turn them in and the next week I'll answer them or something like that. We want to get your questions answered because the purpose is to answer your questions. Now, there's going to be some questions that I'm not going to answer, okay? And the questions I'm not going to answer are going to be things concerning eschatology, okay? We're not going to get into various theological outlooks concerning dispensationalism or covenant theology or Calvinism and Arminianism and all the church denominations. We have people from every denomination that comes to El Shaddai. We probably have people from every denomination that come here, and that's not the purpose of the study. 
Okay? The purpose of the study is to learn the Hebrew roots. And we want people to feel free to ask questions. We don't want anyone to feel uh, condemned or judged or anything like that for any of their questions. Okay. Um, let's see. Okay. Uh, go to your student manual. We're going to take a look at your student manual now. Let's go to lesson five, though. Go in to the, about a third of the way into your book. Go to 5.3. That's where we're going to go to for the moment. We're just going to show you because there's not really a lesson lesson tonight, but I want to give you an idea of the gist of the book. So if you go to 5.3, which is the fifth lesson, uh, let's take a look here. If you'll notice up at the top, there's a theme scripture, John 1, 1 through 4 and verse 14. So in every lesson, there's a scripture that gives you the theme of what we're going to be talking about. And then you see where it says Messiah, the living Torah. And that little two paragraph thing is basic, uh, basically it's the basic thrust of what the lesson is about. And then after that, every lesson is going to have an overview where you're going to be able to, you know, just kind of read the overview. Like you can see here, this study is going to focus on Yeshua himself as the living Torah. We're going to see uh, how his devotion and faithfulness to the Torah affected his entire life. So that's what lesson five is on. And then you'll notice it says the lesson purpose. And so this in every lesson, you're going to see a little purpose of that particular lesson. If you go to the little dots there, you'll see one of the purposes of lesson five is to see how Yeshua was the perfect embodiment of the Torah. You're going to see how he identified closely with the people of Torah. You're going to see how he believed in the everlasting promises of God with the people of Israel regarding the land of Israel, the land of Torah. And then lastly, we'll see how Yeshua agreed with the mission described in the Torah. And therefore had a special place in his heart for the nations and a plan to reach them with the Torah. A lot of people don't realize that the first covenant the uh, in the Hebrew scriptures was all about reaching the nations. Some people think it was just for the Jews and the New Testament is for the Gentiles. It was all about the Gentiles in the very first covenant. The reason he took gave them the Torah was to take it to the nations to so all the nations would see what it was like to serve God. And so they would all come to him. During the Feast of Tabernacles, if you remember in Genesis 10, God, when he divided the earth, it says he divided it. It was 70 nations he divided it into. And he says in the scriptures he did that according to the number of the children of Israel. But they hadn't even existed for another 500 years when he did that. They weren't even born. So he already knew how many children of Israel there were going to be that goes into Egypt. And you read uh, that there were 70 children who went totally into Egypt. And on the Feast of Tabernacles, every year they would kill 70 bulls, one for each nation. So from the very beginning, they were to make atonement for themselves on Yom Kippur. And then on the Feast of Tabernacles, they were to make atonement for all the nations. So we're going to see how the Gentiles were always included. And um, let's see. So you can go to 5.4 here. And you'll also see there's an outline of every lesson. You're going to have an outline. And we'll see in this particular lesson, we're going to talk about Yeshua uh, and the living scriptures of Israel. And you'll see here, A, we're going to talk about his Torah nature. We're going to talk about his Torah family. C, his Torah walk. And D, his Torah calendar that he kept. We're also going to look at his Torah conflicts. Because a lot of people, when they interpret the Gospels and different things, they're thinking that he was going against Torah, that there was some conflict. But you're going to find there never was a conflict. The conflict was in our lack of understanding of what he was talking about. And then secondly, we're going to look at Yeshua and the people of Israel, the people of the Torah. And uh, in this particular lesson, we'll see how he identified with the people of the Torah. We'll see his love for the people of the Torah, his ministry to the people of the Torah. 
Thirdly, we'll look at Yeshua in the land of Israel, the land of the Torah. We'll look at uh, the place of his kingdom. And that's where he's going to return. And then we'll look at Yeshua in the nations, the outreach of the Torah. You know, the Torah was to go to all the nations. That's what he said then. And that's what was supposed to have been done earlier. It's just that they didn't fulfill what they were supposed to have done. Okay, so now uh, let's take a, if you go through 5.5 all the way through 5.17, just kind of glance through the next 12 pages, you'll see there's fill in the blanks. So when we get to all of these lessons as we're going, you'll, you'll have places that you can take your notes. You don't necessarily need a whole separate notepad, but it might be handy if you like to take lots of notes. So that's what you're going to see there. And then if you go to 5.18 in your book, at 5.18, you're going to see at the end of that lesson, uh, there's a summary. You know, they say that the best way to teach is tell them what they're going to know and then tell them and then at the end tell them what they just learned kind of philosophy. Well, that's kind of what this book is. And the nice thing is there's a lot of fill in the blanks. You'll be able to take your notes. And so, uh, as you'll notice in the lesson summary, first, he goes through all the different things that we talked about. You know, the furthermore, after that, finally, so you're able to really know what you knew. And then on 5.19, there's a review and some question and answers. And on this, uh, this is where, like, I'll be asking the questions that are written down as far as a group. And then I'll give you the answers. You can write in the correct answers as you go. All right. And then if you go to 5.21, you'll see uh, in every lesson there's also a transitional page. This is your transition into the next lesson. It tells you where this lesson fit and how it's going to tie into the the next lesson. And then if you go to 5.23 and 5.24, there's another section called the digging deeper. This is for those of you who really like to study on your own. You can go through and really dig deeper and look at how all of this uh, fits together. They, they're going to have additional notes, quotes, different thoughts, and then... Uh, Look at 5.25 and 5.26. There's extra credit. That's right. Bonus points. There's all these questions that you can answer uh, that we're not necessarily going to cover in class. But you can go through, but it's going to help reinforce what you're already learning. Now, none of these are mandatory, the extra credit ones. They're not mandatory. And just so you know, I don't check your book or your notes. If you want to go to the website of the company that puts this out, uh, in the notes, it said they have the answers to the extra credit questions at their website. But I looked for it and couldn't find it. So I'm going to call them to see. But their website, which is awesome, it has all kinds of great information, is ffoz.org for First Fruits of Zion. So it's ffoz.org. I highly recommend you go there. There is one extra credit lesson that is mandatory, though, and it's tonight's, but we'll look at that in a little bit. First, go back to your 1.7 now. Now that you've kind of got an idea of what the lessons are like, go back to your 1.7. Okay, we'll go to the next clip. Now we're going to take a look at what the mission statement is of, of what we're trying to accomplish through all 14 of these lessons. The mission statement is strengthening the love and appreciation of the body of Messiah for the land, the people, and the scriptures of Israel. So that is our uh, mission statement. And we should be like on 1.7 of yours. Now, what in the world do I mean by the term the scriptures of Israel? What is that supposed to mean? 
Well, what we're merely uh, suggesting is that Israel was the first recipient of the scriptures from God. All right. I don't know if you uh, have ever thought about this, but you have to acknowledge every single one of the writers of the entire Bible were Jews. Uh, some people say the exception was Luke. Luke was a convert. OK, so even Luke was a Jew. He converted to Judaism. OK, uh, the script, especially the Torah and the New Testament, they all appear to be covenantal documents. According to the Bible itself, all the biblical covenants were made with the house of Israel. OK, uh, it's here's the thing. It's a, extremely difficult. How many of you want to interpret the word of God correctly? I mean, how, how many of you know people have misinterpreted it? All right. If you want to interpret the word of God properly, you have to understand it the way the Israelites understood it. Okay, you you have to understand from their culture, their context, context. But having said that, uh, we want to be quick to point out that God did not give the scriptures and the covenants to Israel to be just theirs. It wasn't their sole possession. Rather, he revealed what God did. He revealed his heart, his mind and his will to Israel so that Israel would share it to the rest of the world. Okay, Uh, but what I do want to say is that all of the scriptures which God gave to Israel do have application and meaning for all believers. It's for all of us, regardless of whether they're the physical descendants of Israel or not. Then the next thing I, I want to talk about, well, while we're staying here, let me just show you a few more clips concerning the scriptures of Israel. And when we think of the scriptures, do we think of a Torah scroll sometimes? Or is that not what's in our mind? Uh, one of the other things, how many of you heard of the things that God must be crazy? You guys ever hear that? The Coke bottle falls from the sky, hits the guy in the head. What in the world is this for? Okay, and they use it for all these things. They end up throwing at each other, beating them over the head with it. But that's not what the Coke bottle's for, is it? Well, this is part of the problems that Christians have with the Torah. They treat it like the Coke bottle. Okay, think of the Christians like these people, and the Torah is the Coke bottle. They take the Torah, and they think it's they beat people over the head with it, or they don't know what its function is. And so what I want to do is give you the solution of the gods must be crazy video and kind of tell you what the Torah is all about. But that's part of our problem is the preconceived notions. We don't know what the Torah was used for. And, you know, here's uh, look at all these kids. You see, well, sometimes we have a disconnect with Jews. We don't realize the same God of the Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is their God, too. They got the same scripture. OK, this is kind of interesting. I don't know how many of you have ever seen Hebrew before. I just want to show you this one since we're talking about the scriptures of Israel. There are things that are in the Hebrew Bible that you will never see in your Bible that are missing, that are, I think are very important. How many of you have heard where uh, the Lord talks about not even one jot or tittle will pass away before all of the law is fulfilled? What's a jot? What's a tittle? What is it? I can tell you right now, you will not find any jots or tittles in your English Bible. In the Hebrew Bible, here are some examples. If you'll notice these upside-down letters, what are they doing there? You see this Vav? This is the Vav right here. This is the word Shalom in Hebrew. You notice the Vav here is broken. In every Torah, it's broken. Why is in the word Shalom, in this only place in the Bible, is the Vav broken? And for those of you that want to study, it's in next week's or this week's Torah portion, too. I may even mention that this coming Saturday, why it's broken. It's very fascinating. A lot of these Josh and Tittles have to do with the Messiah. And then here, look at this. All of a sudden, there's letters floating clear up in the air. They have letters that are twice as big in the middle of words or twice as small and all these different things. But they all have great messianic implications. But we've never heard it. You know, a lot of times we want to bring out things that is phenomenal that you guys have not probably heard before that are going to be really exciting. Now, the next thing we want to talk about is the people of Israel. Okay, Uh, 
The scriptures of Israel teach us that our Jewish people, that our Jewish people are the chosen people of God. Okay? Uh, here's what we need to realize. There has always been a faithful remnant of people within Judaism. There's always been a faithful remnant, remnant the whole time of uh, believers who find their spiritual connection to God. So you have Jews within the last 3,500 years, in the last 2,000 years, there's always been Jews who do believe in the Messiah, okay, the faithful remnant. And uh, we are grafted into that remnant, okay? Uh, this is the chosen remnant that all believers find their spiritual connection to. Non-Jewish believers in Yeshua were grafted into Israel and are made fellow citizens with Israel, fellow partakers in the covenants made with Israel, and did not replace Israel, okay, as a covenant people of God. There's what's called replacement theology, where the church has replaced that believing remnant of Israel. No, we've been grafted into that believing remnant. And so we desire uh, all believers uh, to begin to see that their spiritual foundation lies with the ongoing remnant of Israel, chosen by grace, the covenanted people of God. So now let's take a look here. During this lesson, I was supposed to show a VCR tape uh, that kind of go over this, but I didn't have a VCR player, so I put together these instead. So let me give you an example here. You know, here's uh, this is uh, in Jerusalem at the Western Wall. We're going to talk a little bit here about the people of Israel. And do you see this? These stones. Some of these stones. When I was there at the Western Wall, I mean the foundation or the stone where I was, it was like this tall. And some of them are like 10 feet wide, huge, huge stones. And uh, let's take a look at this. Let me go here. Look at what this says here. This is a scripture. You can write it down. It's not in your notes. Ephesians 2.20. It says that we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Yeshua HaMashiach himself being the chief cornerstone. Is that right? Now, if I told you, let's go to Yochanan, or uh, Matat Yahu, or Kifa, or Yechizkel, or Yeshaya, or Yemiyahu, who in the world am I talking about? Many of you don't know, right? Well, that's because we, we don't work. When we use the other names, we keep having a Greek mindset. When all of a sudden we start using the, their real names, it makes us do a little shift. Okay? This here is the Apostle John. That's the Apostle Matthew. That's Peter. Okay, who do you think that is? Ezekiel, Isaiah, <laughs> Jeremiah. You know, but it's kind of fun to, to throw these because this these were their names. These were their names. They were all Jews. That's what they were. And when you think of Peter and Paul and all those guys, is this what you're seeing in your mind's eye? Or are you seeing white Anglo-Saxon Protestants with blonde hair and blue eyes? You know, I mean, this, this is going to be a Roman shift. Now, look at Romans 9, 3 and 4. This isn't on your notes. You can write it down. Rabbi Shaul says, For I wish that myself were accursed from Messiah, from Mashiach, for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Who's he talking about? The Jews. Who are Israelites, to whom pertains, listen, to the Jews pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the Torah, the service of God, and the promises. How many of us believe in the promises? They belong to the Jews. But we're grafted into that. It's okay to borrow them, but give them back. Okay? Don't steal. That's one of the commandments. Okay, so looking at the people of Israel and the scriptures of Israel, they've studied the Torah. They love the Torah. I think this next picture is cute. 
they have these little baby Torah scrolls for the babies. They get the babies just to love Torah. That's their Bibles. That's their little, they have little stuffed Torah scrolls they give the kids because uh, they want to teach them at an early age to love God's word. These are the people of Israel. Here's Jews. These are Jews from South America. Here's Jews from Canada. Here's Jews from China. Jews from India. Here we've got Jews from Sweden. Jews from Ethiopia. They come from, they're all over. They're scattered all over the nation. Sometimes we have a Jew in our mind. We have just some different concept. This is from the Western Wall Heritage Foundation. And you can see how big some of those stones are at the base. Now, when we see this picture, you know, some of you are experts in your field. Okay. Uh, my wife is an expert in the bird field. Okay. How many of you see a bird? I said, it's a bird. Okay, but for her, that's not just a bird. That is this particular bird. She knows all about what trees it's in, where in the tree it is, what it eats, where it nests. Okay, when we look at this, we just see a bunch of Jews praying at the Western Wall, right? This picture was taken in the 1870s. And I'm going to share with you a little bit about what the trained eye sees here. Okay, there's a wealth of information here. Okay, first off... The number of people that are there and the, where they are along the wall tells you they've come here on a weekday to recite the Psalms. Okay? The garments also reflect their ethnic origin and their status. The two men that are here that are dressed real nice, that have the festive fur hats, all right, they are members of the non-Hasidic Ashkenazi community. I don't know if you're familiar with Ashkenazi versus Sephardic. Sephardic is more of your Spanish Jews. Ashkenazi are more of your, like, Russian, European, and over there. But these here are non-Hasidic Ashkenazi community. Now, you notice he has on white shoes. See, all of a sudden you're going to see some little things. Okay. And the older man here by his side. This is what they would wear, the white shoes, and dress like that on a wedding day. So this is telling us that it's his wedding day. This is probably the father and the son side by side, and they were more of the, uh, the wealthier bunch. It's customary to pray at the Western Wall on your wedding day. Now, the person that's third, this person here, he is a member of the Hasidic community, and the way you know is because of his narrow belt. You wouldn't have known that otherwise, okay, around his waist. Now, look at this fourth figure. This poor guy's barefoot, and it's shabby clothes. He has this, you know... Prayer shawl, you can see the fringes. He's got a tallit. You can see the fringes right here of the tallit on his garment. Okay, uh, he's barefoot, he's shabbily dressed, he's unlike the others. He's wrapped in a dark shawl. The fringes are clearly visible, covering the head with the prayer shawl or the tallit. That is customary of Oriental Jews. And uh, in 1882, there was a large group of Yemenite Jews who settled in Jerusalem. And this also tells you that of the great poverty a lot of them experienced. Then we have this person here. Okay, this person is one of the Maghreb Jews out of North Africa. He's dressed like them. Uh, now, the dress of the man who's a bit removed from everybody else, notice the spacing. Okay, uh, he's probably a pilgrim tourist and he's not a local resident. Then you see there was no wall between the men and the women. Here you have two women all dressed in white. They were probably the bride and her mother of these two here. There was a separation uh, but they were probably participants in the wedding. But it's just kind of amazing as you begin to study more details and you look at things, you, you, you just see things from a different perspective. Okay, so now what I want to do is let's go to the land of Israel. That's the next thing. 
Uh, here, this is important. Without a proper knowledge of this land. How many of you have been to Israel? Wow, this, that's pretty good. How many of you want to go to Israel? Me. All right. That's good. Let's see. Gil's paying. No. Okay. Without a proper knowledge of this land, it is extremely difficult to accurately interpret many passages of Scripture. Uh, we also need to realize that God himself sanctified this land by residing in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, he was incarnated in the land. He ministered in the land. And there's many biblical prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled in the land, such as the return of all the Jews from around the world. Okay, the return of the Messiah. Uh, the land of Israel is going to be divided up amongst all believers. So you, you uh, everyone that, uh, you know, there's a good chance you may end up being living in Israel. And you can even get a free airplane ride there. And uh, as a portion of the inheritance, this is the West Bank. You can see why the Palestinians want the West Bank, because it's easier to bomb. The, you want the high ground. And Israel is just about ready to give them the high ground. They're ready to give them the Golan Heights, land for peace. They're ready to give them the West Bank, land for peace. It is crazy. There it is. Do you realize the distance? If, if the West Bank, uh, the latest I heard, because the two-state solution won't work now, they're trying to give Gaza to Egypt and let it be Egyptian territory again and give the West Bank back to Jordan and let it be Jordanian territory again. If that happens, or if the, if, if the Palestinians get their own state in the West Bank, do you realize the entire nation of Israel is only going to be nine miles wide? That's it. Nine miles wide. It's only three miles wide at its narrowest point up here. Think how easy it'd be to bomb, and it's only 20 miles from here to Haifa. The entire nation of Israel is only 40 miles wide. The entire nation of Israel is 40 miles wide from here to here. That's Jordan. And Jordan wants all of this. It's 25 miles from here to here. This is what it looks like from a satellite image. Look how little it is. It is not that big. That's the Dead Sea, Jordan River, Sea of Galilee. You know, that's Lebanon right there. There's Egypt, Jordan. The entire width will fit between Seattle and Lakewood. The entire nation of Israel, its width would fit between Seattle and Lakewood. If we turn it north to south to give us a better idea... The entire nation of Israel will fit from Gig Harbor to Enumclaw. It would run from probably from the Bellingham to Vancouver. So it's long and narrow. Bellingham, imagine the entire nation of Israel is from Bellingham to Vancouver and as wide as Gig Harbor to Enumclaw. And you can see, and then it's land. It's all about the land, they say. They want, they need, the Arabs need more land. So I hope I've made a little more of a connection with the land for you guys. Get, see if i got another picture here. Okay, so now. We've got a few minutes here, and so, but I wanted to make a connection with you guys, with the scriptures of Israel, the people of Israel, and the land of Israel. So now let's take a look at uh, the highest old plan, which is uh, 1.9 in your books. If you go to 1.9, 1 1.8, 1 1.9 is where we're at. You guys want to take a five-minute break? Okay. All right. Just want to. This is interesting so far. Okay, let's look. We're going to do an overview of all 14 lessons here. It'll go real quick, but on your notes, you can write notes as I summarize here. Uh, lesson one, which is what we're doing today, our foundation, it's just to familiarize you with the whole program. Lesson two, the unified word of God. Here's what you're going to learn. I've got three things here you're going to learn in lesson two. 
and uh, I'll say it, but then you may want to rephrase it in your own words to keep it short. Let me see if I can't look at this and just put it different. Basically, what I want to do is to describe the continuity between the two covenants. It, you know, I want to connect the dots, basically. I want you to see how it's, it's one. You can almost take the little blank page between the old and the new and just rip it out. And just, it's just one book. Uh, the other thing that's vital that you're going to see uh, next week is I'm going to show that God did not reveal all of his truth at once. Okay? He did it in a historically progressive manner. Little by little, line up on line, precept on precept, revelation. How many of you can handle all the revelation all at once? No. So he did a little at a time. The third thing is we're going to provide some practical examples of the significance of some precious biblical truths. Okay? We're going to show you some uh, biblical truths that are just awesome and give you some practical examples of, of their significance to give you kind of a, a renewed appreciation of the scriptures. Uh, one of the other things I didn't say that I want to add to this, the, the purpose of this lesson, and this is what's so exciting, it is not to be an intellectual exercise, it's to be an application exercise. How many of us go to church, we learn things, but we don't apply them per se, or they're, they're only affect here, they don't affect here. I want to affect here, and I want you to go away applying what you're learning. Because that's how you really learn, is by doing it. And the third lesson uh, is going to focus on the Torah, the first five books. And you're going to understand that Torah does not mean law. Rather, it's God's instructions or God's teaching. And then you're going to find the Torah has purposes for believers. You believe it. And the Torah has a purpose for those who are not believers. The third thing we're going to see how the Torah is not something that's been done away with. And the other thing that's important is we're going to see how the Torah is not something that the believer has been set free from. The scriptures of Israel. And the fourth thing, we're going to see how what the Torah is when it's properly defined. We're going to, it's a document that describes the lifestyle of God's redeemed people. Okay? It describes a lifestyle for God's redeemed people. Do I need to slow down? Okay. Do I need, let me repeat these. Do you want me to repeat them? Okay. Lesson two or lesson three? <laughs> lesson three. You're going to see how Torah is not law, but rather God's instructions. You're going to see how the Torah has a purpose for both believers and unbelievers. You're going to see how the Torah is not something done away with or something that we've been set free from. We're going to see how what the Torah is, it's a document that describes the lifestyle for God's redeemed people. How many of you ever thought of it being any of those things? But we're going to go through and you're going to see in the scriptures how this works. Lesson four is about the Messiah and the Torah. And what we're basically going to be doing is focusing on what Yeshua thought of the Torah. And there's uh, three key passages uh, from the Gospels that we're going to look at. And but what they're going to explain is how the why Yeshua came. Okay, he came to properly interpret the Torah. Number one, not to replace it. Then I'm going to show you verses where Yeshua instructs his disciples to teach the Torah to their students. Then the last one, which is I think is one of the most important interpreting principles when you interpret the Bible, we're going to look at how Yeshua said the Torah speaks of him. The Torah is all about him, which is what is going to lead us into lesson five. We're going to see how Messiah is the living Torah. Do I need to go over lesson four again? Okay, lesson five. Uh, what that's going to focus on is how, what role the Torah had in Yeshua's life. Okay. Number one, we're going to see how he was the perfect embodiment of the Torah. Okay, 
or you don't need to write this down, but I want to repeat the scriptures of Israel. We're going to see, secondly, how Yeshua identified closely with the people of the Torah. And then, thirdly, we're going to see how Yeshua believed in the promises concerning the people of Israel and the land of Israel, the land of the Torah. And then lastly, on Lesson 5, we're going to look at how the Lord had a special place in his heart for the nations, and he had a plan to reach them with the Torah. Okay? In other words, Yeshua agreed with the mission that was described in the Torah. Remember, mission impossible. If you choose to accept it, you can have this mission. Well, there was a mission in the Torah, and the Lord accepted that mission. And uh, part of it was a special place in his heart for the nations. And then number six, we're going to look at who you are in Messiah, our identity in Messiah. And this is this is going to be a real important lesson, because what this is going to do, it's going to help believers avoid legalism. Okay, we do not want to get legalistic, right? Now, what does legalistic mean? We're going to look at that. We're going to look at how to avoid legalism, which is one of the deadliest traps. We do not want legalism. And the best way to avoid legalism is to focus on the nature of Yeshua's atoning work that he did. We look at the doctrine of grace uh, and the result of the atonement in our lives. Okay, so that's kind of what that is going to be important. We don't want to get into legalism. But what this is going to do is going to give you a new appreciation uh, of the atonement. You're going to really appreciate the atonement when we're done. And you're also going to know, uh, have a keen sense of who you are by being united with Messiah, being a new creation. And then lastly on this one, you're going to have a, a definite rec- You're going to have discernment. You know, how many times do you hear something that from a preacher or something and you wonder if it lines up you know, like a plumb line? You have to have something to measure it against. If you don't have anything to measure it against, you don't know if he's off or not. The Torah was the plumb line. That's what enabled you to know if the, the preacher's off or not. Um, and so uh, because you're going to have a discerning recognition, uh, you're going to be able to resist any temptation of the flesh to approach Torah obedience from a legalistic manner. Because we do not want legalism. And then number seven, we're going to look at the covenant connection. Uh, we're going to um, Look at the historical background. You have to look at things from a historical perspective if you want to understand it. So we're going to look at things in terms of a biblical covenant. What is a covenant versus a contract? Uh, we're going to explore the uh, connection between biblical covenants plus covenants that were done by the nations in that day to see how they compared. And then lastly, in this one, we're going to look at the implications that this has of our biblical foundation. Uh, lesson eight is going to be fun. We're going to do a covenant comparison. Okay, so now after we've done all of that, we're going to be able to compare the the different covenants. How many covenants were there? Most people think of the old covenant and the new covenant. You know, there was like seven covenants. There's there's a whole bunch of covenants. You know, is the covenant with Noah still around? Is it is it valid today? Okay, so uh, does that mean that the covenant with David did away with the covenant of Noah? No. Okay, so there's a covenant with Adam and Eve in the garden. Okay, about a Messiah coming, and the there was the Noah the Noahide covenant didn't do away with that one. The covenant with Abraham did that do away with the covenant with Noah? No. So the covenants build on each other; they don't replace each other. So we're going to look at that. Uh, we're going to understand how the biblical covenants form a distinct continuity with each other, which is what I just said. And then we're going to see how both Jews and non-Jews can participate in these covenants. Okay. Then lesson nine, we're going to talk about Rabbi. Shaul, the mystery man. You know, one of the main hindrances of many believers is their misunderstanding of the writings of Paul. They misunderstand them. So what you're going to acquire is a a new understanding of his background. And when you understand his background, then you'll understand his writings better. 
And we're going to realize that Rabbi Shaul, uh, his teaching fully supported our premise that the foundations of our faith in Yeshua are based upon the land and the people in the scriptures of Israel. And then lesson 10 is on Paul as the misunderstood man. And we're going to look at there's historical passages that people will bring up and you're going to hear them. And they're going to say, well, what about this verse? Well, how many of you know you can't look at any one verse and build a doctrine on it? You've got to get all the other verses around them in context. And so we're going to examine four particular verses that uh, are often misinterpreted, okay, to give you a, a new understanding of him. And then lesson 11 is about the Torah community. The, the Greek mindset is you're on your own. How many of you ever felt like you're on your own? And in the church sometimes you're on your own? Well, it's supposed to be a community, okay? That's what it's all about. Uh, the Torah community. We're going to learn the importance of living as a community of believers. A lot of people say, well, I wish we would get back to the book of Acts and what it was like in the book of Acts. Well, we don't know what it was like. We don't have a Hebrew mindset. But we're going to talk about what it was like. Uh, we're going to look at how God's community can function in peace and harmony. And we're going to become aware of various biblical functions of God's community, how it works. You need to slow down or repeat. Okay? Okay, we're almost done here. Uh, lesson 12, we're going to look at the seasons of our joy. This is probably going to be one of my most favorite. Uh, we're going to look at the cycle of the holy days, God's biblical calendar. Uh, we're going to look at Leviticus 23 and Esther chapter 9. Those are the key texts for the biblical calendar. Uh, you're going to really appreciate the implications of the calendar. And uh, hopefully by the end you'll be motivated to live according to the biblical calendar. How many of you are unfamiliar with the biblical calendar? A lot of people here are unfamiliar with the biblical calendar. Okay, well, you know, when you think about it, if... You know, my, I don't know how many of you have relatives that live on the East Coast or in the Midwest. If you told them that you were going to call them at 7 o'clock, okay, what's the first question you would ask? Which time zone? Right? Well, the calendar that we have, that we use, June, July, August, all those things, that is not God's calendar. That is man's calendar. Did you know God has a specific biblical calendar? And until you're on his calendar, it's, it's like we're not connecting, we're missing. He has appointments. He wants to meet with us. And he's there and then we're not or we're there and he's not. So this is going to teach us the importance of a biblical calendar. And then 13, we look at divine permission here. We're going to examine uh, more fully the relationship of non-Jewish believers. What relationship do they have with the land, the people in the scriptures of Israel and uh, non-Jewish believers are going to be encouraged to participate fully in the Torah because you have permission to do so. And uh, then lastly, we'll collectively, as a group, we're going to experience a growing excitement about celebrating our divine inheritance because we're, we're partakers. And then the very last lesson that we're going to cover here is called celebrating our inheritance. And that's the final lesson. And what we're going to look at there is two prophetic passages from the Tanakh that's going to summarize the relationship that the Jew and the non-Jew have together with the land, the people, and the scriptures of Israel. The first one's going to be from Deuteronomy 30. And the second one is going to be from Zechariah 8, which is kind of what I've already shared a little bit. But uh, when it's all over, you're going to have a greater appreciation and excitement concerning your relationship to the land, the people, and the scriptures of Israel. And most excitingly, you're going to have a sense of awe of what God is doing and what he promises to accomplish in his plan to bring people to himself. And those of you that are able to go through the whole thing, you may even have diplomas when we're done. <laughs> Woohoo! Diplomas! Okay, lastly, and then we'll be done here in about five minutes. We'll let you out early tonight. If you go to page 1.11 in your notes, remember I said the extra credit wasn't mandatory? Okay, except for lesson one. And if you see here in the extra credit personal study side, it says that in this highest study course, there's going to be sections of extra credit following each lesson. 
but this work is not mandatory with one exception, lesson one. Now, these questions are for your benefit. They're designed to gauge your learning process during the next 14 weeks. So take the time to thoroughly answer each question with your honest convictions. That's important. I want you to be honest. No one's going to read this but yourself. So be honest with yourself so that by the end of the 14 weeks, you're going to have the ability to see which of your perceptions, if any, have changed, deepened or been reaffirmed. And your leader will not grade or check your work. You're the only one who will read your answers. So now go to page 1.13 through 1.16. And you're going to see all of the extra credit questions that you can do between now and next week. Okay, so that's your homework between now and next week. So come on up. You want to close in prayer? Sure. All right. He's going to close us with prayer. We thank you, Meshua, for this meeting and what we have learned. And we pray that we will all come out of this with a lot of knowledge that we don't have now. And as everyone goes home, I ask Yeshua to bless them and have a great week. In Yeshua's precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. Hope you enjoyed this evening. You're listening to Solace Radio on the Meander Radio Network. Thank you for listening to Solace Radio streaming on Podbean. If you have any comments, let us know. Your sharing, liking, and subscribing helps Solace Radio reach those in need. If you would like to support us, visit www.solaceradio.org.